Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So hey everybody, welcome to episode 314 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lippes Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? We have Mark Rubin on the line in San Jose, California. Oh. Alrighty then. Yeah, so we're digging. Um, some quick fact check here, uh, just one of them actually, uh, that we were talking, talking about Apple stock in the after show last week and uh, we were discussing, uh, what was it, Berkshire, Berkshire Hathaway has never split their stocks. Um, so Apple stock stock would be r- roughly worth $28,000 if per share if it had never split. And this is the split on the 31st or sorry, the 28th was uh, a 4 to 1 split. And that was the fifth time they've split their stock. So that was a 4 to 1. So yeah, the closing bell of August 28th. All right. Do we have any Ask MTJC, honey? We have one. Yes. So Joe Cabrera says, uh, by the way, I know a FedEx employee. And yes, they track where you are and for how long and will question any excessive gap time. This is in reference to um, the episode where I mentioned like, oh, uh, this, you know, this order uh, is having some issues of like, oh, stuff arrives when it's kind of not supposed to. It arrives earlier than they claim and it arrives later than they claim. And I thought, how is it possible that I could get an Uber and I could see precisely how far away, you know, my food delivery is or, uh, you know, the ride share is um, right down to the basically the minute, right? And the exact route they're taking. And and, and to a lesser extent, I can see uh, Amazon's okay-ish implementation where they say, oh, your your package is 10, uh, 10 stops away. And you can just sort of see like a point on the map that gets it, you know, a little bit closer over time. And then you have the uh, the UPS and FedEx and DHLs of the world are like, I don't know, it shows up whenever. I'm like, how can that be possible? They clearly have the technology on the trucks to track the drivers, right? Like I, I kind of suspected it was it was true without factually knowing it was true. And seems here is a confirmation of my suspicion that, uh, you know, when you're trying to optimize a whole fleet of drivers, you're absolutely going to turn, uh, you know, time is money into a very literal sense and say, put stuff on the actual trucks themselves because they're fairly large, right? It's not like you're trying to add something to an Apple Watch or something like just just put a box on the truck. And as long as it's not too heavy and, and doesn't impact gas mileage too much, uh, you'll be fine. And uh, looks like I'm right. I did I did hear so that last week, uh, I guess some of the election conspiracy theory people are saying that um, USPS deliveries are sort of becoming slower and slower. Oh, this is not a conspiracy mm-hmm. theory. This is a real thing. This was a this was a uh, a concerted effort on the part of the current administration to do this. They threw away machines, literally. They just tossed to, them sorry, out, to out the which? door. The machines that sort 
sort the mail. Yeah. A whole bunch of them just got tossed out the, threw them out the door. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And they're never coming back. They're destroyed. Yeah. I've been watching the mailboxes in the region, the ones that I've go to on a regular ish basis. Just go away. Just mysteriously gone. Yeah. Not really? even a notice of like, hey, as of this date, this one's not going to be here. Here's like the next two or three that are close to you sort of thing. It's gone. Hmm. Really? Oh, interesting. Interesting. All right. Um, all right. Let's move on to some follow up. Uh, this is uh, from Bloomberg. Uh, uh, no surprise, but uh, but what is surprising is is the, the move that Apple's made here, and that is Apple's preparing for 75 million 5G iPhones along with new watches and iPads coming up. And this is a, a video that uh, is on Bloomberg uh, website and uh, article here. And and they're calling it a bullish move because you know in spite of all the sort of cutbacks due to COVID, um, you know basically hammering the economy and disrupting supply chains, um, they're surprised that Apple is it, not. It's not an increase in in the number of devices expected to sell, but apparently the iPhones are becoming quite popular. And it could also be that we're all working from home and kids are in school and things like that, and we need to have tools. But uh, surprising that uh, that they're going to be doing this kind of stuff. Right? They're they're ordering this many devices to be made. Well, I think one one thing uh, besides the facetious thing of like you know I don't know when mine's going to get delivered because of the <laughs> problem we just talked about. Who knows yeah. when it's actually going to arrive? Yeah. Independent of uh, you know supply chain availability, which you know seventy five million is sounds like a lot, but actually sounds kind of typical for what Apple does in the fifty plus uh, million iPhones that they have to have available for that um, that first quarter of availability. And, and it gets to sort of one of the things that you know, kind of has to come up when, um, you know, just pick a random manufacturer of phones. Um, sometimes it's ones we've sort of never heard of, of like, oh my gosh, look, they have this one feature. How come the iPhone doesn't have it? It's like, well, because those people knew they only had to make like less than 500,000 because nobody's going to buy their phone. Oh, right. right? Yeah. And Apple has to make millions of these things and do it at some scale that, um, you know, the cost structure makes sense. Certainly there's, there's uh, economies of scale, but, you know, Apple's clearly not afraid to say, hey, we, we need to design and build a robot specifically to do this thing, right? And to, to machine, you know, the, the, the parts for it. And that's not always uh, easy. So I think what you're going to end up with is is not always necessarily bleeding edge stuff, but for, I think, just about anybody who's got, uh, you know, pretty broad uptake in the mobile handset industry, the Samsungs and Xiaomi's and et cetera, the world, like they also have trouble doing the uh, latest and greatest tech on anything other than uh, smaller niche phones. Like you, you won't see it generally on their, their flagships that they have to have, you know, 75 million plus of. Right, right. I mean, there's some other interesting things in here about the the watch. Uh, they're talking about a series five, which which apparently will be they're anticipating a, a lower cost uh, to compete with the lower cost uh, devices like from Fitbit and things like that. Um, as well, Jaime's favorite product, the the HomePod. Uh, there's going to be a new version of it, a smaller version apparently. Um, so with fewer speakers uh, than the current de- device, which is I guess two ninety nine US, and also a faster Apple TV box, a faster processor box. So which upgraded remote control. How could they improve on that remote control? It's so awesome. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of cool. So that's stuff to look forward to. Again, I think you know probably because we're all doing the Netflix and the Hulu, and we need to have our Apple TVs, you know, at uh, maximum capacity, right? Mm-hmm. And, and did you say a five watt? I thought it would be 
six, because I think I have a three. The four had the LTE, and then the five had the, the bigger typeface. Not typeface. No, I, watch think, face, uh, right? I have a four, I think. What do I have? But, um, Does yours have the bigger, uh, not typeface, Yeah, mine has the bigger, bigger, the bigger face, yeah. Oh, and, so um, I'm not that far behind on my watch then. Yeah, no, but the, so the bigger face, but I think the, the LTE came out the year before I got mine. So am I on a five? Hang on, what did it say? I guess you might, right, might be right. I might have explicitly not chosen LTE on mine since mm. I'm, I'm not the uh, not the kind of person who's away from their phone too much. Yeah, it says here, um, oh, successor to the Series 5 and a replacement for the Series 3. Understand. Do they have? Do they still sell Series 3 watches? I guess they must do, right? I think they keep them as the more modest price costs. Okay. Ones, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like conscientious. are like, eh, I don't know if I'll do it for, what do they run, like 349 $399 yeah, for the, the flagship like that, model yeah. of the watch and 199 or 179 is kind of a nice, like, all right, it's not quite stocking stuffer, but it's it's when you'll, you'll take a, a stab at the lower yeah. investment. Yeah. All right. So I think you're up next with the, not much in the FU this week, eh? Weird. Not, not that much to follow up. Um, although this, this could, I mean, this could have arguably been, been follow up, right? Because we, we have heard about the fact that the App Store would have an appeals process for uh, challenging not only decisions, but challenging guidelines as well. And, uh, that's what this very article is about. Um, that it's, uh, it's now available. So we have the Verge article linked here for those of you driving at home. And we also have the, uh, follow up to the follow up, which is the app review process updates from the news and updates section of the Apple developer site. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious on the suggesting changes to the guidelines. I kind of wonder how Apple is going to throttle that in any way, uh, unless they're, they've configured their email to go to dev null or something. <laughs> just think about it. Like now you've opened the floodgates for, I'm sure, very many perfectly reasonable appeals to the guidelines. But there's also going to be 10 times as many completely irrational and unreasonable appeals to the guidelines. And you got to sort through them somehow. Right? Yeah, and this is all in, in sort of uh, in light of both Epic and their, their battles with Apple. You know, it was presented as that, but it has nothing to do with that because this 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 actually predated um, the Fortnite Epic um, battle and is actually, it seems more in line, if you're inclined to think this way, with the European Union's antitrust investigation that is, is kicking off. That makes a little bit more sense timing-wise. I sort of wonder how many apps actually are rejected for guideline issues. Maybe it's not actually all that many. Yeah, I wonder. I, I mean, you know, I think we all get the odd, you know, rejection here. Not quite outright a rejection, but uh, I don't think, I think, I'm trying to think, I, the only time I ever got rejected on an app, or not me directly, but was one when we first, when the videos first came out, they didn't like the video we had produced, right? So we ended up just pulling the video altogether. Yeah, it'd be interesting, interesting to see what, what happened to this, if people will actually appeal. But uh, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of don't see why you wouldn't, if, if you thought it, it would give you an opportunity to get in to the store. I could see that a lot of folks would be sort of incentivized to do somewhat riskier things since the calculus has changed a little bit from Apple will absolutely not allow it in the store and I might be able to convince them that this case makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole mechanism of being able to suggest, suggest, suggest changes to the guidelines, that's kind of interesting too. I so, but, I mean, it sounds like they're willing to listen, you know, which I don't know we necessarily felt we had much of a choice before. I don't know about you guys, but whenever I get one of those new terms and conditions things, 
that I have to agree to after, usually after WWDC, they have some new feature or whatever, and you have to go into your account. And I mean, do you really read all the changes or you just kind of go, hey, I, you know, what am I going to say? No. And then not publish my app. You, you ever know? watch that South Park episode? Cautionary oh, Tale? That? No. Is it, is it a fable? Is it a South Park fable? It was an actual South Park episode about the, the human sent iPad. Oh, yeah. I think I think I think in terms of service going. agreement. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Careful what you're agreeing to there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. This was Jobs era. So I, cause I can see I can see his face in the mm. in the style that they have of South Park. Right. OK. Fair enough. What's going on with the subscription offer codes? I mean, well, they they will exist for uh, auto renewable subscriptions. So later this year, apparently customers on iOS 14 and iPad OS 14 can be offered um, special codes to to get them, you know, enticed into those auto renewable subscriptions. So I wasn't aware that that wasn't available. I knew that you could do uh, redemption codes, you know, for for paid apps. And I, I thought they'd done something similar for some level of subscriptions, but maybe there were maybe there were differences. Do you, you guys know more of the details here on what wasn't possible and that is possible now? Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting, but because um, I was going to say because I, I there's a music publisher, like a music app publisher that I follow, and uh, they've been dropping these um, limited time, you know, get the app for like nine, you know, ninety nine cents or something ridiculous, but it's going to go up to like it was no, it was more like um, like ten dollars, so let's say nine dollars, and, and it's going to go up to like you know forty dollars in a couple of months, you know, kind of thing, right? So or you know after this weekend or whatever, but uh, just it's audio something or other. But um, I guess that was the only way to sort of to do to incentivize people to buy your app is to either give them a free code or to give them give them access to the app at a reduced price for a limited time. Like people do that around WWDC and stuff, like that, right? Um, and I know I thought we had talked about this maybe as part of WWDC, I guess that um, they're going to be able to you know you're going to be able to give like somebody a free trial as it were because I mean that's one of the biggest things we've said you know for the last six years is there's no sort of free trial for someone to try out your your uh, your software and since a lot of apps are now going to, to subscription level um, service you know that's the only way to sort of get a free trial right and so if they have this ability with and I'm assuming this has been in iOS because I think in, in Mac OS you can do free trials already right that's not correct yes, no I guess it's a, it's a side loaded app I guess yeah you can do whatever you want if you do a side loaded app sure yeah yeah but obviously in iOS where we, we don't have side loading so mm-hmm. yeah. it does say here that you can provide it at a discounted price or a free auto renewable so yeah and you know <laughs> if anything was to sort of point towards it's kind of time for there to be a, a little bit of of competition or you know I hesitantly say potentially regulation in the area of app stores I think the just how little care and attention is given to the app store as a as a product is probably the biggest indicator that there's like not really a ton of incentive for Apple to improve it I mean look how long have auto renewable subscriptions been a thing and mm, a couple of years yeah. I'm not gonna say you know how hard could it be but how hard could it be <laughs> to add free or discounted offer codes the same way that they've had offer codes for other things right well I mean yeah they have offer codes for apps like like if you want to send them to reviewers and things like that you can give them a free free redemption code right but obviously the the renewable subscriptions you know because it's renewable you have to have at some point after you know three months it'll cost you blah 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 like you see that a lot in in other businesses uh, around the world mm-hmm. yeah let's see how that plays out I mean like you know we were a little skeptical about subscription auto renewing subscriptions from the get-go right other than like for magazines and things like that right but uh, you know there have been some cases where um, using subscription pricing has been better for the developer than just plain sales right because there's no no other way to get a recurring 
recurring revenue that would support your future development, right? Or new features kind of stuff, right? Like if you're selling an app for five bucks, you know, one year, then five years later, you're now losing money on that, on supporting that. And five years later, you're, you're losing money. The minute you sell that app. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's what I'm saying. So like like having a subscription model where you you're making a little bit every day, you know, as long as people are subscribing, you know, you have you have some recurring revenue, right? Which is the goal at the end of the day. Um again, you're you're back again, honey. Yeah, this one was oh, yeah, extra special for you, Tim. So this this article yes. on Apple Insider is twelve years later, Apple is still trying to erase Mac.com email addresses. Mm-hmm. So for folks who are newer to the show, something that keeps coming up is um, Tim has a whole a, a plethora of Apple related accounts and addresses because mm-hmm. he's been a longtime fan of the company and usually or I should say quite often that ends up in a world of pain when new features come out that, that I don't see because I'm a relative new person on the bandwagon and have just the singular account uh, so yeah. Tim did you read this and, and get uh, teary-eyed at, at some of the things do you still have well, <laughs> some of these things that they're talking about I do I have them all I, I mean I have them all. I mean, I didn't. I didn't realize, like you know, like uh, yeah, I was a I was a dot Mac user. Um, in fact, I was telling Tammy on the week this week that uh, I was just looking for something in my my searching for something in my phone, and I always thought the phone only kept a certain number of email messages, you know, stored on the device, like a month or something like that. Because uh, you know, whenever I look at my main account, I only can go back so far, unless I do a search, and then it goes and pulls the server and pulls them back. But I was I stumbled across my original welcome to dot Mac email that I got from Apple and it tells, you know, what my email address is, right? And it's dated July 16th, 2007. When I first got this and, and that would have been around the time, I don't know, I forget what it was, maybe an iLife or something like that or I think they, that and, and I had like for a while there, there was sort of a, Apple had a, a photo service where you could you could upload pictures to it and, you know, uh, I think I had like four or five pictures in there and I had to pull them out when they canceled that service as part of the MobileMe thing, right? Uh, MobileMe became iCloud after a while but I didn't, I didn't realize that i mean if i look at my phone like if i go to the settings like and i go to the you know my apple id it shows me that i have a dot the same you know characters before the dot or before the at symbol and then i have a dot mac a dot um, me or me.com and i also have an icloud so i can use either i can use any one of those uh, versions of that address or, or the, you know the top level domain name for the email server and they'll all come to the same place right um i only use this account for my icloud really so like because that's what it was initially. It was originally just the .me service or the, you know, the mobile me service, which then became iCloud. And, and the challenge that you were talking about before was the fact that I, I have a different Apple ID that I use for iTunes because they weren't connected either, right? Um, and that's where I get into the world of hurt whenever new things come out because I, I still I still have two identities as far as Apple's concerned. In fact, so I have a family account and my two email address, my two Apple IDs are part of the same family, right? So that I can, you know, ha- I can buy stuff and share it and, and not get you know, um, blocked by Apple for, for this and that. But I didn't know that they were trying to get rid of these older addresses, right? I th- you know, like, I think having a .Mac address is now, or Mac.com address is, uh, is a badge of honor, right? <laughs> I know a few people who have them still, right? It's, it's probably I tricky. Me, but I don't have a .Mac. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you must have joined the mobile media generation, right? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, I could imagine that there might be some technical challenges in how those various systems were architected where it might, might 
you know, make a little sense to migrate people over to the latest thing that they have. And maybe that's why they're, they're just slowly trying to squeeze them out. Mel, I can tell you as a, as a purveyor of domain names um, and various uh, websites and things like that, I mean, I have a few, you know, I have, I have a couple, I probably have a three or four actual sites that I, that I do work on. I mean, I'll besides my main business one, right? And, you know, I have like, well, I have one for the, this podcast and I have one for Spotcast and a few other things that I, other ventures that I have. And, but then I'll also go in and register an email and, and you can do what's called, um, it's like an, like an email alias, but it's called, I forget what it's called. Um, I'm just drawing a blank on it, but I can register a, dom- a domain name and I can redirect it to like my mail, my main email or my mail main domain, right? So, um, I ha- if I was doing this, what I would do is I would move all the people over to it at iCloud account, right? iCloud.com. And then I would make the, the dot me's and the dot max aliases to that account, right? Um, that way, you know, I can slowly over time get rid of the dot max, right? But I think, I think what they're saying here, as long as we continue to use the dot mac or mac.com address, they have to continue to support it, right? So even though they're not giving out any new, any new uh, IDs with that, right? It's funny though, my, my email address is, my dot mac email address is modeled on my eWorld address, which is even older, right? Back in the day, I used to have an email, uh, an eWorld address, and then it became an AOL address, and then, then that died a horrible death, right? I think. <laughs> but yeah, weird. Like, you'd think, like, I think Mark, they said here in the in the article that Microsoft at one point had the same problem with the Hotmail, right? Because they changed it to um, Out- Outlook.com, I think. Um, but I, I still know some people who, who go by the Hotmail handle, right? Um, but I think that, like, what Microsoft would have done, I would think, is sometime they would say, okay, from now on, you know, here's the date. You can no longer use the Hotmail domain, right? Rogers did the same thing. Rogers used to be at home.com and they changed it to rogers.com. And there was like a, a, you know, a date where it was like a line in the sand. You had to, you know, start using the new the new format or, or you just lost your communication. Right? Well, at mm-hmm. home was an early ISP. They merged with uh, Excite way back when. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Excite, yeah. that's another one too. So so in the, in Canada, Microsoft um, gobbled up hotmail.com or they, they merged with them or bought them or something like that. And Rogers had the at home one. So mm. maybe maybe they were using at home as the email provider, whereas, you know, yeah, maybe. the hotmail.com was the email provider for the other people, the other, the other camp, the Bell. Like we have Bell here in Canada and we have Rogers. And I think that um, the hotmail was definitely, because um, there, there was a time there when when um, Bell had a sort of, I mean, they were originally called simpatico.com or simpatico.ca when they first started up. And now, now it's, I think now it's, I think it's at bell.com is, is where that email has gone to. Because I also, believe it or not, I also have an email address over there too. <laughs> it never ends. Weird. Actually, it's gotten a lot better with spam on the on the dot .mac uh, address or at, ma- at Mac. We used to call it dot .mac, but it's actually at Mac.com. Yeah, so uh, this next piece is an interesting one, and it's uh, App Annie, as we've talked about many, many times before. Um, I use them. I think Mark uses them for statistics on our app. We used but, to. haven't in a long time, but I used to. Yeah, and I'm not a paid member. I'm still a, I'm a free member, but I do occasionally go in and, and check things out. But So th- there's an interesting thing coming, as we've talked about in iOS 14, and that is that um, how advertisers reach out to you is going to be a bit problematic. And in the world of gaming, which is sort of Jaime's specialty, I think, right? There, you know, you can say I make game apps, but then the next question is, well, what kind of game apps do you make, right? And uh, and if you're a gamer at all, or you know anything about gaming, um, I was I'm looking at this this uh, pie chart right now, uh, you know, where you've got in the center is casual gaming, and then you know around the clock they've got arcade, hyper casual, idle kids, lifestyle party, puzzle, racing, simulation, sports. What what App Annie's done is they created a taxonomy of games of game 
types, right? So that advertisers will at least have some some handle or some sort of way of getting a hold of you. Because you know, under simulation, you've got time management, Tamagotchi, sandbox, other simulations, management, love, life, crafting, builder, or breeding. <laughs> you know, and then there's like under racing, there's all kinds of different racing games and things like that, right? So they've created this taxonomy to basically give, uh, I guess, advertisers a way to to figure out which market or which demographic of games you are in, if I can call it that, taxonomy, I guess. Like, further down the way, there's the gaming IQ, there's the core gaming, casual gaming, and casino gaming, obviously, too. That's another one, another category of of gaming that we have some experience with here. It's kind of interesting how fine-grained these get, and as I look at them, some of them sort of fall into what are the mechanics, right? Like, um, cart racing versus drift racing versus drag racing, right? Those are all types of racing, uh, but the mechanics change a bit depending. There's some where it's not really mechanics. It is more akin to like film genre uh, where like uh, Room Escape and uh, Chinese Card and Match 3 don't really share anything mechanically, but they're all considered of the puzzle type. Well, then there's a whole sort of kids kids area too with coloring or educational or what they call other kids. You know, arcade games is another one where you have platformers and runners and shooters. A lot of different ways to can slice up gaming, right? I can, you know, like suppose your friend wrote a book on gaming. Like, wouldn't you want to know what kind of gaming they're going to be writing about? No? Like, is it a first-person shooter? Is it like, a, like you know, that's what uh, Fortnite's all about? Like, you, you know, you land in an environment with a, and you just have to survive sort of thing? That has a name. What is that? First-person shooter or something like that? What do they call that? So, last one to survive, like a Fortnite or PUBG sort of one? The, yeah, the yeah. Battle Royale is the mechanic there. And the genre, it kind of describes, kind of describes both. Yeah, they've got, so here on this IQ, game IQ, they've got like action, strategy, simulation, RPG, racing, sports, and shooter, that's on the one side. Yeah, a lot of different ways to slice it up. So yeah, they're saying that game developers will benefit from the pre-built classifications that guide their development and the kind of marketing they need to do as well, right? Yeah, like as, as I mentioned, you know, the, the various puzzle types don't really have anything to do with each other, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. And so it would be useful to see, okay, well, beyond just puzzle as a category, what specifically is, is doing well? Is it the, you know, uh, click and find items sort of games? Is it the Chinese cards? I'm not, I'm not sure what that is. I don't know if it's like a like a solitaire type equivalent. Well, it's like Mahjong, you know, where you've got the tile, matching tiles and stuff like that, I would think. I don't think of those as cards, but yeah, I guess it could be like a, a Shanghai or Mahjong sort of uh, yeah. one. Well, Mark, you should do the Chinese poker, right? Is that anything yeah. different? Or? Well, that was a game uh, that was uh, loosely that played with a standard deck, related. Though? It's played with a standard deck. It was loosely related to poker, but not a, it wasn't actually a poker game. It just used poker hands mm-hmm. uh, where you would have to sort your cards into into different poker hands and then show them down against the other players. So that right. I, I suppose that might be what they're talking about. It, it's a pretty popular game. Right. Yeah, I don't know for sure, though. Well, let's see. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when that uh, iOS 14 prompt starts hitting hitting uh, people's phones mm-hmm. um, and it, people find out what, what uh, app developers are doing. Next one is uh, an article on Ars Technica about... Um, Apple's notarization system. Uh, some security researchers were able to to trick the notarization system for macOS to uh, approve something that was actually malware. Um, I think in this case they they made it appear as if it was like an Adobe Flash update of all things, right? Like the thing that we're right. all hoping would die. <laughs> uh, they use that as, as probably just good fun, I would guess. Um, I, I I bring it up as something I wanted to, to talk about because I'm I'm kind of curious how folks are looking at this. So. 
if folks recall, notarization is something that is available for macOS. Uh, I do not believe it is a requirement yet. The sort of impression is that it eventually will be. And I think it works together with the gatekeeper system where uh, Apple can, you know, yank the uh, the validity of, uh, of, uh, of apps, right? So if they discover that there is some malware that's out there, sort of traditionally they've said, well, okay, well, we can remove developer accounts, right? And it looks like this was going to go uh, another route. We said, okay, well, cool. We, we have yet another way for folks to be able to, to claim and, and, and sort of certify that, yes, this is uh, a proper app and hasn't been tinkered with in any way. So that if something were to get out, Apple has another option that can sort of reduce the blast radius for the impact of the malware. Now, to be very clear, it wouldn't like remove it from your system. That's that's an altogether different problem, but it would prevent these things from, you know, uh, getting viral, right? And somebody posts, you know, hey, check out this cool link on social media. And then now all of the Macs are, are infected. It's supposed to, to get to the point where like, whoa, hold on user. Like this thing doesn't look like it's supposed to be run. Are you sure you want to run it? Sort of thing. Yeah, I had oh. the opportunity to use notarization for the first time just not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, as a matter of fact. Uh, and it worked. It, it was a pretty cool thing. It worked pretty well. It was pretty simple. Once I figured it out, it was pretty simple to, to do. Uh, and yeah, it's it's really the, the difference is when you, the way it works is you submit your app sort of like you would for the app store. You, I mean, through the same method, actually, but you submit it to a different place. Uh, and then it uh, if it succeeds, you can download this uh, kind of like a certificate sort of. And then there's a special tool called the stapler where you where you digitally staple this thing to to your app. So in, in addition to the code signature inside your bundle, it has this other digitally signed file, uh, which is the, the notarization that is by stapling it, it just means they put it inside your, your bundle and it's because it's digitally signed, it can't be spoofed. So so in effect, what happens is when you, when you try to install the app, uh, if you don't have this thing, you get this pretty scary looking message saying, this this comes from an unknown developer and may have malicious blah or something like that. Uh, but once you do and you do do this notarization, it has a real nice message saying that Apple has checked this software for for uh, malicious uh, for malicious content and and found none. So really, is, yeah. is that for a Mac app? For a Mac app. Specific? This is all only for a Mac oh, okay. app. Yeah, none of the supplies to the right. iOS app. And th- these are for Mac apps that you don't distribute through the Mac app store. Oh, so this right, was great. Right, this right. was their solution for security for. For that type Project. of ad. yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. and and but I mean, they were talking at one point because we have that gatekeeper thing now. Mm-hmm. I think like this is gatekeeper. Something, yeah. But if you try and install something now today, right? Yep. It'll you download something from the web. It, it pops into the security thing and says, "We're not going to let you install this." Right? You have to go in and specifically say, "Yes, it's okay" or whatever. In fact, I think they in Catalina they removed the the option for you to just go to security and say, "Yeah, it's okay. I I, I I'll take responsibility for this one." Um, yeah, I mean that's that's exactly what this is. You probably seen it a few times without even realizing that that's what this was. Uh, if it's not notarized, it gives you sort of the scary message. You can still install it. It won't. It never prevents you from installing something, but you have to always opt in to installing it. And th- this, does this have anything to do with sandboxing the app, or is that sandbox is only through the uh, through the app? Uh, apps, sandboxing right? is is different. So I mean, it, it's it's a, you know it's a similar concept in in that it's it's a security feature, but but it's a different security feature. This is this is with sandboxing. It's just like on iOS where all of your data 
is kept within its own little area and, and it can't write outside of it and nothing else can write into it. Uh, but this is different. What, what this is doing is uh, Apple actually looks at your build and scans it for malware and, and then digitally signs it, which means that they take the, the build, they do some kind of a hash uh, so, that, so that you can't change anything. Because now if, if you try mm. to change it, then the hash will fail, right? It, the, it'll hash right. something different. So it's no longer digitally signed. So they're right. they're really just saying, okay, you submitted this thing, we've scanned it, and we're giving it the stamp of approval no that there's no malware in there. Right, right. But in the case of the story, there actually was malware, right? Well, in this case, yeah, Apple just screwed up because some, someone had to have submitted this app to Apple, got it notarized, Apple scanned it and approved it, and yet there was malware in it. That's a little bit scary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this one was to sort of cover this a little bit more um, more clearly than I think uh, not necessarily the, the Ars Technica article but the sort of source material from the security um, folks who, who did this. So I think very clearly to Mark's point there, like Apple screwed up, right? Whatever automated system they're using to scan for this sort of thing, these folks found a way to get past it, right? Like that needs to be patched up and, and fixed. So point taken there. I think the, uh, I'm going to go with the sort of subtitle here. Newfangled malware protection gives users a false sense of security critics say like i don't think that's really true because i think the vast majority of users have no clue no clue that this even exists nor what it does right yeah, right what yeah. it's really meant is to prevent uh if you're listening to this podcast prevent you from becoming uh it support for your family as they've downloaded you know some minecraft installer thing or some fortnite installer thing and they're like hey like my my machine's acting weird right it's to prevent that scenario it's not to resolve it as i mentioned before like it will not remove the malware but you know if and when it comes to apple's attention they can say oh okay great hold the phone just we've identified which one it is we'll just shut it off and now it's not going to be able to run right like that's that's what it's intended for so i, I think it's overstating things to say that it uh, it gives folks a a, a false sense of security so i think the when you read the i can't even find in this article the the source material it sort of goes a little bit too uh, hyperbolic where it's like oh the equivalent of if i said look just everybody look in their house do you have locks on your front doors like well if they're pretty standard locks that's totally useless it doesn't do anything in fact yeah. you should just not only remove the lock you should just like remove the door because Leave that's the not going to stop open. anybody yeah, yeah. from coming to your yeah. house it's like well i mean yes you're not wrong in that somebody who's you know a professional or somebody who's very dedicated to coming into my house it, it very clearly is not sufficient security but it's, it's good enough security for the vast majority of people right and it keeps right, sort yeah. of random narrow dwells in your neighborhood from just sort of taking a peek at the stuff that you have. Right. Or stumbling into your front door when they're coming home from the bar kind of thing. Yeah. 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 I think I think listeners of this show know that there's no such thing as a safe lock. We've talked about that many times on the show. But. All right. Cool. Yeah. So, Jaime, after the podcast is over, can you help me with my printer? I, hypothetically, yes. Yeah, so it's going to be fairly hard <laughs> to debug from, <laughs> remotely from a distance. No, I just thought since you're like IT for the show, you can help me, you know, get my printer set up properly. <laughs> Man, I'm so used to I'm doing that sort of thing. Um, come Christmas time on, on normal non-pandemic years, it's like, all right, what's all the equipment peripherals and etc. that you need me to reinstall or or install for the very first time? Ideally, it's in the box. <laughs> They've just 
been saving it for me to arrive. Stuff sits around waiting for six months for you to show up. <laughs> I never asked, but I kind of felt like it did. Yeah. Really, you, should, you should create an intake form for people to create like a ticket for you to come over and set up their, set up their stuff, right? All right, I guess we're at the picks part of our show. Um, so, Jaime, it's you again. Off you go. Yeah, this one is How to Test Deep Links with UI Testing by Joe Mazzalotti. Mazzalotti.com mm-hmm. uh, is a resource that uh, I've quite often referenced for how to do stuff with anything related to testing on uh, on Apple's platform because it, you know, it's gotten better over the years, but it, it's quite often been not as nicely documented. And thankfully, it, that's less of a concern over time. But now, um, this particular article seems pretty useful to me of like, all right, well, how are you going to test that your deep links work? And I don't mean necessarily just in a unit testing sort of way of like, all right, well, you know, the thing we have that resolves deep links, uh, if given a particular URL, it appears to um, render or sorry, uh, resolve to the correct path into our app, right? Um, that's good. And, and I think you absolutely need that. But but sometimes it's still pretty nice to have. I needed to like actually show that if somebody was to, you know, click this magic link on our blog or website or push notification or whatever, like I want to be able to know for sure that it will actually fire up the correct path in the app. And UI testing as an integration test is, is pretty useful for that. And and sometimes I've run across bugs that like, oh, didn't realize there was something subtle in in the setup and the interaction with the way we handle deep links that that, that can trigger a bug. Um, in this case, he uses a, uh, a third-party library, uh, an HTTP server, a tiny HTTP server called Swifter. Written in Swift, yeah. Um, which normally on this show, we'd say, oh, like you really shouldn't be using uh, you know third-party stuff unless you're really, really sure. And even then you should think about it. Um, generally, when we say that, I think we're mostly talking about the protection code that's going to ship in your app. In this case, I think you can be a little bit looser with regards to, to tests. Uh, not completely. I, you'd be rather sad if your, um, you know, if your test suite just completely stopped working based on like, you know, foibles that have happened to the Facebook SDK in the, in the past few months. But at least you could still continue to ship, right? Like you'd be shipping at risk, but at least your, your stuff would, would work. Um, but in any case, in this example, he uses Swifter to run uh, a little HTTP server so that you could run a, uh, a little HTML file that has your uh, your links in there, right? So in this case, it's like com.mazalotti and then you know deep link one. And then he sort of walks through, here's what you can do to tell the UI test, fire up Safari, make it go to this local URL, which is just your little web server running that, that HTML file. And here's how you can get it to, to tap, tap, tap over to your link. And then you can assert that, you know, yes, Averily, your your deep link deep link did actually work. Mm-hmm. Like for real Z in your app, not uh, in some sort of artificial test harness, but you know, this is doing the same sorts of things that like you could yourself manually test, but but why should you when the machine can do it and you can go have a coffee or a sandwich or something? Sure. And this is good because I mean sometimes when you're working with like deep linking you have to set up you have to have a service stood up for you to test and get uh, get the files over. So this is the deep linking where you where if it comes the Safari will recognize that on the device that um, your app can respond to this particular URL. Is that correct? Yes. And so in, in this case, he's got, um, like it's sort of implied, or maybe he actually straight says it. But when you look at the the actual link, I think it's way towards the top. It's the second second image shows that the um, the href target, mm-hmm. so the target of the link is uh, a custom URL scheme. In this case, com.mazalotti, and then colon whack whack, right? So the, um, I don't think he's, okay, he did say replace this with whatever URL 
scheme your app registers, right? Yeah, this this works with URL schemes. This does not work with universal links. Right. Yeah, okay. that one would be... But, but it seems if... like you could do the same kind of thing because if you're making your own HTTP server, uh, it seems like you can put whatever files you want on it, even if it's a tiny little one. And mm-hmm. the file you need, it's just a little JavaScript file for the to recognize the universal link. is It's a tiny 20-line JavaScript file. So it seems like you ought to be able to throw that in there in the right spot mm-hmm. and have it work. Yeah, but so you, when I want to test this, like to, to launch my app from mm-hmm. something on the phone, I just go into the, the Notes app and type in the URL and then tap it. You know, once, once right, you yeah, if you have a universal link set up, it just works. Yeah. 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 But this is cool. This is running a little web server on your, your iOS device, right? right? Is but, that what we're looking at? But his point, which is good, is, you know, you can't have, you can't have a unit test fire up Notes and type something in and, and click on it. <laughs> and this will allow you to do that. But but it does seem like it is true that if you had if you did have a universal link set up, then you could just use your main server for this, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I've never run automated tests of any sort on the universal app link stuff, so I really don't have a good idea of how that stuff is tested in any automated Well, universal, universal links require that you have a, a an app association file at the root level of your server or right. inside a dot well-known folder, right? So that's a different different story, right? Right, but but, but that's but all server-side stuff. So, yeah, so yeah. the technique that he's talking about seems like it ought to work in yeah, that yeah, case yeah. as well. Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I, I never actually thought about running a little web server on my phone, like because I mean I run web servers on just about every Mac I have, right? So guess what? <laughs> Wait, is, is he? He's not running the web server on his phone, is he? He's yeah, running it's this little tiny. The Swiffer thing is running on his on his phone, right? It's running on whatever right. device is running the the tests. So the answer sort yeah. of sort of varies. Oh, okay. It's running yeah. running a little embedded server. So way down at the bottom in his XC test case, he's got a test deep link via Safari. You know that, that launches the app, uh, starts up the server, and then goes through telling XCUI application to start. Uh, you know, you know, find this app called Safari, tap it, you know, or I should say, launch it, and then wait a little bit so it does its thing. Yeah, serve up a page you can tap, right? Right, and then and then he knows the, the structure here. of his of his page, so he he's able to to simulate taps on, on what's going on there. So in his test, and is, he's, is he doing a setup, and then is he taking it down? Does he, does he ever kill the server? It's interesting that he's firing up the server, or are you saying the server is already running? Oh, I mean, uh, this example so that he he uses, I don't know that... I, I think he's doing it for clarity. Oh, he's got try server start 8080 as the port. Well, he must be using that to start the Swifter. Yeah. So Swifter looks like it is... I'm looking at the source code right now on GitHub. Yeah, it's available for all of... It's, it's OS 10, it's iOS, it's TVOS. Mm-hmm. So he you can put a web server on your TVOS. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's that's kind of an interesting thing. I, I, considering you can't open a browser on your TVOS, but I yeah. guess you could run a web server on your TVOS. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Hmm. Where did you see it was available for all the platforms? I mean, the fact that it runs in Swift is cool. I just looked at if you click on the Swifter link in the article, it yeah, takes I'm looking, you to the I'm GitHub, looking in GitHub site. Right? Yeah, and you can if you just look in the Xcode directory. Oh, I see. There's yeah. all these different, different builds. builds. Hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Cool. Because I'll be running uh, WordPress on my phone le- legitimately. <laughs> or maybe not. I have to figure out how to run my SQL on it as well. Anywho, that's cool. All right. So, uh, yeah, so uh, we were talking about the watch earlier being something for use for workouts. And, and I don't know about you guys, 
ways. But so I walk my dog every day, right? But you know, I find you know tapping my if I was walking home from work, you know, I might remember to go in and turn on my workout and tap the workout that I'm you know doing an hour long walk or whatever. Um, but I nine times out of ten I forget to um, bother turning on the the walk thing. And I do know that you know it does record your steps, but it doesn't record the fact that you're outside and you know because there's all those other health related things that that happen when you're when you're exercising in the house or out of the house or whatever. So one of my sort of things that's been bugging me and and you know Carol now so Carol goes swimming every day and so she's finally got waterproof headphones so she can listen to her music on her while she's swimming and she's also got her Apple Watch and she puts it onto swim mode and she starts a workout swim workout and then she turns it, puts it into swim mode and then does her thing and whatever but uh, so this this is a post that, that was very timely for me it just popped up in on iMore um, in their Twitter page I don't know if this is from t- this week let me just have a quick look but uh, this is how to manually add a workout workout data to your health app if you missed it right so yeah this is from September 1st 2020 by Christine Chang so it's very simple you just you know you open up the health app um, go to search type in workouts in the search thing at click the the plus which is add data in the in the corner um, enter an activity type so you'd add workout or you know, for stretching or you're running or you're doing pole vaulting whatever it is you're doing um, and then you can put in uh, the amount of cal- calories you burned and um, maybe distance you went and start and stop time and it's just a handy way of going back in and putting in a workout that wasn't necessarily that wasn't recorded live kind of thing too and you know so again today I was looking at this because um, I do an exercise routine in the morning sometimes for my back and I don't wear my watch to bed and I don't take my phone with me to bed right but you know like I'm in the bedroom before I get up and get going for the day I'll do this you know, five ten minutes of exercising right so that's a, for me that's been lost all these years I've been doing it but now uh, this morning I went in and I went into shortcuts and I made a shortcut to basically record or report um, using this mechanism here you can use shortcut as well to to uh, record um, a workout that you might have missed as well too so that's that's kind of handy and uh, that's my uh, pick of the week is missing a workout how to add it to your phone and speaking of running swift on weird things uh, this is a post that um uh, one of my colleagues at work, Eric, posted. Um, he's big into sort of like you know devices and gadgets and things like that. And uh, this is sort of a Arduino board type thing that runs. Um, it's a, actually I saw another one today too. I don't know if this is the same same uh, tool, but this to, this board, it's like a little um, board basically for doing programs on whatever. Uh, runs on Swift, so you can basically uh, test it. I'm just looking for the name of it. What is it called? It's from Micromachine.io. Yeah. So like our, like the Arduino, you can go in and, and uh, run this uh, run your Swift code on this uh, microcontroller. So do all kinds of you know IoT stuff or Arduino type stuff. Um, learn Swift if you if that's what you want to do. I don't know that it I'd recommend using your this cat. to learn Swift, but uh, <laughs> but for sure you can. Yeah, it's I'm kind of a cool your, thing. Just, it's a it's basically a microcontroller where they've installed the Swift kernel mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and, and it, you have a, a board with a bunch of breakout posts that you can connect things to, just like in our like an Arduino does, and so if you do, if you're interested in, if you're an electronics hobbyist and you're looking for a for a uh, something that you can program to do to do whatever it is you want to do, and you happen to like Swift as a language, it's kind of the perfect solution. Right. It looks like you can't use Xcode to do it, but you could use. That's I bet line, right? with a little bit of hacking, I bet you could use embed Xcode, which I think I mentioned on this show a long time ago. Which is kind of a cool mm-hmm. semi. It's not open source, but he gives it away for free. But you can, you know, donate 
donate if you want. Uh, there's a guy, we can find the link to it, uh, who has written a whole set of libraries for doing microcontroller programming through Xcode. So you can you can program your Arduino or your, your uh, uh, what, what's the other one? The, I'm drawing a blank. And what, Raspberry Pi. Raspberry, Raspberry Pi. Pi, but yeah, there's some other ones too that are that are pretty common in the in the uh, hobbyist the electronics hobbyist communities, and you can actually use Xcode to uh, write your code and and then just write it to your microcontroller. So I bet you you could get that working with this one if you tried hard enough. Yeah, and this is this is running the ARM Cortex M7. I just found the tweet that I was talking about earlier, and we were talking about the same device. Uh, Paul Hudson was tweeting about this earlier mm-hmm. today as well. So yeah, USB microcontroller. You know, we've got some. Uh, we put some. We call those daughter boards that they add to these things. Um, the name for it to do like you want to add like a wireless board or something like that. So it has a micro SD card, um, USB two port, US two USB port, EMAM. Mm, cool. Yeah, if you're into if you're into the sort of if you're in that world and you're yeah. a Swifty kind of guy. I'm right? actually tempted to buy one of these. How much are it? Is, oh, it's say? actually pretty cheap. So uh, the board itself is sixty eight dollars. Mm-hmm. Then there's a maker kit for one hundred eighteen dollars, and it's not clear what's in there. Oh, that's funny. And the maker kit on the right on the box is a whole new way to learn Swift. <laughs> so maybe they are marketing it. <laughs> yeah. So Right. Swift. Yeah. What yeah. comes in the maker kit? Let's see. You get Swift.io. You get something called the Mad Machine Maker Kit for Swift.io Guidebook. You get you get one uh, k. Uh, I guess that's a thousand resistors. You get red, blue, green LEDs. You get uh, some white on black LEDs. You get a micro USB cable. You get a couple of little motors. You get a seven segment display. That's that's some pretty good stuff. Um, a little breadboard, a little fan blade, some four pin wires, an Arduino shield. I guess you can plug our shield. That's the word I was looking for. Shields. Yes. Shield. Yeah. Um, you got a light sensor. You got a potentiometer. You got a buzzer. That's that's pretty good. You know, for mm-hmm. for another mm-hmm. fifty bucks, you're getting a lot of stuff. I mean, yeah, you could you could go online and or go to somewhere like you know Fry's uh, and probably buy it for less than fifty bucks. But it, yeah. at least you know. But this is giving it to you all in one place. And if you're a beginner, rather than having to go out and acquire all that stuff on your own, kind of a nice thing. So yeah, pretty good there's price a chart here at the bottom. There's a chart here at the bottom that talks about. Um, the different platforms. Maybe this is what you're thinking about. So Arduino runs on a Uno board. The thing called Cir- or Pi MicroPython runs on a Pi board, and then there's uh, Circuit Python runs on Circuit Circuit Playground. And then of course this one, the Mad Machine, runs Swift.io. Mm-hmm. But you can learn, you can program in C++ on an Arduino or Python on the other two, and then Swift on this one. Pretty cool. Yeah, I like it. Cool. Yeah, there's a name of a company that that uh, sells uh, oh Android Arduino stuff. What's it called? Adafruit. You've heard of Adafruit? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Adafruit's another place where you can buy this kind of these kind of things. I don't know if you can specifically buy this one, but uh, oh, this oh, you're looking on the store, right? Yeah. Look at that Maker Kit. Ooh, 118 bucks. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd probably get the Maker Kit. You know. Yeah. I, I have our Arduino Kit already. Carol, Carol bought one. Yeah, and, and like I said, you know, it's the the parts that you're getting. You could probably get them for 20 bucks, not 50 bucks. Yeah. But yeah. you know, that would require going to the store and gathering up all the parts or ordering them mm-hmm. online or something like that. So um, you know, for a beginner, it's probably a pretty good deal. Maybe not 20 bucks because there's some motors in there those cost those cost a little bit yeah yeah that's pretty cool mm-hmm. i mean like yeah you're like the like i said i have i have some arduino starter kits like the same sort of deal where you can learn how to make things go beep and mm-hmm. flash and bing and whatever mm-hmm. all right my last pick here is a really interesting one and this is uh this is uh, we've talked about DuckDuckGo in the past and, and i don't know if you guys know but i've switched everything that i can get my hands on over to DuckDuckGo. uh there's a few, there's a few macs here that i know which are still using google but um uh yeah because i just don't want to be tracked and all that kind of stuff. And, and one of the things that uh, DuckDuckGo has is this ability to use bang. So if you want, if you're searching for something and you're not happy with the results, you can put bang G and it'll 
it'll go and it'll do the same search on Google for you, mm. right? Or you can do Bang I and a few other ones, right? But the latest one that just came out today or was announced today or sometime around today, maybe Tuesday actually, I should say, is Bang HWS. And what that will do is if you put in your search, your, if you're looking for something to do with iOS or macOS or Swift or whatever, and you type in Bang HWS, it will search on Hacking with Swift, mm. which is Paul Hudson's website. So, um, so naturally, I reached out to him and sort of said, okay, so how did you do this? Because um, I was curious about how, how one does that. And uh, he said it was actually pretty simple. You go over to, it wasn't quick. It took a while for it to happen. But if you go over to DuckDuckGo and slash new bang, you can submit uh, a bang for, for your own website. So, for instance, if you wanted to have uh, the search result go to a specific site like mtjc.fm, we could do, you know, bang mtjc or something like that. And then uh, then it would it would come over to our search, our website and search through our through our stuff. So I, immediately I tried it out with with Paul. You know, typed in core data and I typed in you know um, pound h h w s and uh, away I went. So that's kind of cool. Uh, you can either search for things on hacking with Swift or you can submit your own bang um, shortcut for DuckDuckGo. And good luck to you. I'm sure there's gonna be like a what do you call it uh, gold rush for those, right? And that's it for me. So and I guess that's it for this week. So if uh, people want to get in touch with you, hi man, how would they do that? I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. All right, and Mark, if people want to get in touch with you? Markar at Smapsoft.com. All right, my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, and uh, I'll be on the Twitter machine. That's where you can find me. And uh, until then, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Are you guys on mute today or what's going on? No, I'm looking at the DuckDuckGo bang list. Oh. <laughs> Little pro tips. Yeah, there's a um, very much not safe for work. Oh my gosh, who is it? I can't remember if it was Nicki Minaj or, or Cardi B. One of them mm-hmm. came out with a music video called WAP, which stands yeah. for some stuff that's not safe for work. And somebody tweeted out this, this meme that was like... <laughs> IT pros crying themselves that they try to search for wireless access points and they can't get what they want. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, oh, really? we probably kind of need a, a, a little bit of extra care there. To, W-A-P? I'm going to look it up and see what it stands for. i have to look that up. So while while we're just following up here, um, so the, I did find that on the DuckDuckGo site there's a uh, um, Say Hello to Bangs page. And so for instance... Oh, I see. Uh, okay. <laughs> bang, a will get, bang A will get you Amazon. Bang W 
we'll get you Wikipedia. Bang Y, we'll get you Yelp. Bang E, we'll get you eBay. T, we'll get you Twitter. R, we'll get you Reddit, and so on and so forth. And of course, HWS will get you Hacking with Swift. Oh, they've got 13,000 bangs, so you better get your bang in there quick if you're uh, mm-hmm. going to, right? So, I wonder what Bang M does. Can, can we grab Bang M? <laughs> we grab TJC. And to follow up, it was Cardi B. I looked it up to see who it was. Cardi B's got the WAP uh, music video that makes it very difficult to look for the sort of older school WAP of wireless access point. Mm. Be very careful at work. Mm. It looks like Bang FM is available. Maybe. Oh no, that's Foulmaster. Who? What else can we try? Let's try Bang MDJC. What do you think? We should be apply for it. I mean, that would make a lot of sense if people want to use something easy. They want to search and, and find her stuff. <laughs> what does MTJC stand for in the dictionary? In the free dictionary, it stands for Maine Township Jewish Congregation. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, we better grab that one, eh? <laughs> so I saw the uh, the T-shirt link. Sorry, sorry, completely changing topics. I saw the T-shirt link. Yeah. I really wish Teespring had longer cycles for that. I think there's only like a day left, so it's really hard to to bring up on the show, knowing that the the flow time means that they're not going to see it. More of a first world problem. Oh, different colors. What color? Is there a stack overflow? Like an SO? I guess, I guess you don't really need it because pretty much anything you search for tech related goes to, spl- to stack overflow by default. <laughs> <laughs> but there would be one, a good one, if they had it would, that would take you directly to the Apple developer docs. Right. But I don't see one. Hmm. I see so far, I see four for Splunk. Kind of Splunk already? Yeah, there's apps.splunk.com, which is bang apps.splunk. Then there's mm-hmm. bang Splunk. Then there's bang Splunk base, which is our you know database of support question. Right. A three. Now, where was the other one? I saw a fourth one somewhere. Oh, Splunk Answers is bang ans.splunk. Oh, there's also bang answers.splunk. So someone clearly... Oh, there's also bang blogs.splunk. <laughs> Splunk is like the main user of this of this service, apparently. <laughs> That's cool. I like that. Cool. Mm-hmm. There's bang wiki.splunk, bang dev.splunk. It's all over the place. All right. Just ordered my, my merch. So I got myself one coming September 18th to the 22nd. Or oh, for the t-shirt? What color is it? Pur- purple something? You got a purple one? I put red in there. I thought you wanted red. Oh, uh, well, thank you. I was just looking at the colors <laughs> and said, okay, I know I have gray, red, blue, and green. I was like, oh, I don't think I have a purple one. So I changed it. Oh, color. okay. Right. What's well, the, the actual royal link? Blue is it one? the link that was in the, uh, uh, the last channel? one I put in? Yeah, the, the Friends, of the, Friends of the Show channel. Purple Rush is what it calls it. Hmm. So, um, yeah, somebody, I can't remember. Oh, it was the guy from Microsoft wanted a purple one back in the day. He doesn't yeah, just, Microsoft I want to make sure this is not the one that takes me to the UK site like that last time. That was probably a couple times ago. Oh, yeah. That's, that's something to be careful on. Um, All right. What do we got? We got navy. We got green. We got red. We got bright blue. We got purple. Kind of like the navy, but the one I got's a navy. Yeah. I was thinking ahead for, um, you know, a future post-pandemic world where we can be at conferences and stuff. And this gives me, <laughs> I think, a full week worth of MTJC shirts now. Oh, you just completely always be closing, right? ABCs. Always be closing. Yeah. So, so I, have, I would have the blue. I'd have the red. I'd have the green. I'd have the uh, yeah. gray. And then the purple. Yeah, I'd have five days. So in two more years, and assuming I don't, you know, destroy any of these just through normal wear and tear, I'll also have travel days or conferences too. So looking ahead to 2022, <laughs> completing this whole thing. All right. I'm going to order the green. What's on the back? Anything? Oh, yeah. There it is. And let's see. 
see. Do these run big or small? Do you know? Uh, They've got the I sizing would, I, on the details. It shows you the, the actual inches. So I, I prefer a double XL, but I can wear an XL from these guys. Yeah. These are the same people we've had before. So I could probably I could probably get away with a large, but I'll go for an XL because mm-hmm. I tend to like them big. I like when they show the sort of sizing information in inches so that I can just find a T-shirt that I like the fit of and then go measure that and see which one lines mm-hmm. up with, with her. Where does it say that in this? Does uh, it? Did you say it does? Let me, let me grab the link. Uh, da, 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 da. doesn't seem to on mine. What did I do with the dang link? Oh, and start designing maybe? Uh, show more details underneath the description. Oh, There's yeah. a little like light blue. Oh, show more that? details of carrot yeah. and then it gives you the different sizes. You oh, know, but inches it's in and centimeters. centimeters. What are they talking? Oh. <laughs> Inches is the other one, but yes, you, you could use centimeters. Inches. <laughs> centimeters. Oh, man, that's funny. Hmm. All right. Oh, it's only available till tomorrow? No, that's not true. I don't know why they did that. Hmm. I think it, I think it auto-renews, but uh, it's funny because, like, previously they they let you choose the campaign length, but for some reason it, just, it would always let me put in... It didn't let me choose, right? So I even went back in and tried to do it again just to see, right? And I couldn't add it to our store, which I find really annoying. So I don't oh, know. It's not, it's I can use the, Apple Pay. Can you? Mm-hmm. Well, it says, it says I can, but... But yeah. I never believe that until I confirm it, because a lot of websites say you can, and then it just flat out doesn't work. Yeah. So I got see. three. I have three uh, three orders already. <laughs> I nice. clicked my buy with Apple Pay, and nothing happened. Really? Try that again. How lame is that? Great products. Set up a store. Oh, product. okay. Here we go. Now it's working. All right. Double pay. Double click. Processing payment seems to have worked. Cool. Sign up to track my order. Do I want? To, do I care about tracking my order? I don't want to sign up. What? I can do like an email message, you guys. Say something nice to your buyers. Integrations. YouTube. So Tim, I never got those masks. They never showed up. Never showed yeah. up, eh? Huh. This is what we were talking about okay. earlier about the mail. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No wonder. If Carol might have a uh, might have. Oh, four units sold. Look at that. Well, two of them were Jaime and myself. Yeah, I know that. One boosted boosted network. What the hell is that? Four dollars. Yeah, we had, we've had uh, four orders of the of this new shirt. Who are the other two from? Did you say? Um, I don't know if it shows me who bought them. Let's see. Oh, it's probably but Boosted Network. Probably means that it's advertised on some page somewhere, and somebody just bought it because of the slogan, I guess. Which is fine. You know, we don't care as long as it gets the word out. So, oh, here we go. I've got uh, one order of Kelly Green. That was from last night. Teesprings oh, Boosted got... Network. It's a oh, Teespring sorry. thing. You, you just bought a Kelly Green one, right? Yeah. So somebody bought one, uh, a Navy one yesterday. I assume it was. One one of the guys on the... And somebody bought a red one. Is that you, time, honey? No, you bought the purple yeah, one. Yeah, I bought Purple Rush. Did, does it give you regions? Because we seem to suspect that they would get one from the UK and one from Australia. No, it says yours was on, on the source was boosted. So I don't know how you managed so to get there. So I'm looking at it right now. Boosted Network is a Teespring thing. Yeah. So it shows the Purple Rush one that Jaime just bought at 10.56 mm-hmm. p.m. my time, which is... Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's weird because uh, I'm pretty sure I clicked the direct link without any... Yeah. Um, well, they stole $5 from me, the bastards. Mm. $5.54. I got ripped off. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I mean, the yeah, the URL was, before it, it redirects, was teespring.com shop 2020 MTJC t-shirt. And then after you hit that URL, it redirects you to a, a PID equals 46 in this case and CID equals 2745. I don't think that counts as boosted. We didn't get it from, like, you know, more products from uh, from Washington State you might like. <sighs> 
I don't know. He was robbed. Why can't I add this t-shirt to our... So we have an MTJC store, right? If you go to teespring.com slash store slash MTJC, you'll come to our store with all of our previously uh, available shirts, but I can't seem to get this one added into there. I gotta send them an email. Just, but they're all about, like, they're all about selling the, the merch now, right? These guys, right? The Teespring? Yeah, yeah. They're not just selling t-shirts anymore. They're selling all kinds of stuff. You gotta diversify that business. Pricing. Teespring is free. No, it's not. <laughs> you guys lie. They, like, what used to happen was, I, I when when I put up the, um, the MTJC one last year with the, what did I say, the one about the t-shirt thing, where all I got was a lousy t-shirt, they took it down for copyright infringement. And well, the good thing is I, that shouldn't have happened now. this time. I know it's up there now. I ar- argued about it and got them to Wait, what is the NAFTA edition? <laughs> Printed in the UK. Or, oh, sorry, the, uh, I forget which one. So, so they used to have, now now they have a global store where they'll, they'll print it. Like, if you order it in the UK or order it in the EU, they print it in the EU, mm. right? And they ship it from there. So, the shipping, because used to be if somebody wanted to buy one of our t-shirts, they would charge them, like, $20 for shipping to come from the United States, right? And, now, and I have no idea what quality shirts take. So, Jaime, when you're over there meeting these guys, you got to, like, you know, feel the fabric and, you know, <laughs> check out the quality of their Hello. shirt. Hello. Hello, friend of the show. <laughs> Allow me to <laughs> invade your Allow personal you space. Your shirt. Touch, yeah. yeah, grope you. To me. Let me touch. Yeah. No, I'm touching the yeah. fabric. <laughs> yeah. I entered the Google I.O. lottery and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. Yeah. Well, so somebody said to me they would they would buy the shirt for our podcast if we mentioned Google, if it was a Google. So mm-hmm. I wrote one, I made up a shirt for the guy. Did he buy he it? never did buy he it. never bought it. Yeah. No, no. Typical Google user. Yeah. That's why they canceled yeah, the, you know, the conference because they knew. They knew. I mean, look, look at it. Like from a dollar value standpoint, when you compare Google I.O. to WWDC, like WWDC is way overpriced, right? If you're looking at mm-hmm. purely from a cynical dollar standpoint, it's almost twice as expensive and you don't get anything other than like, you know, a jacket or pins or something. And Google I was like, oh, here, really, here's this free phone. Here's this free watch that you're not going to use. You're just going to go resell it on eBay. But that <laughs> lowers your cost, your effective cost of attending the conference, right? So it's it's probably like effectively $300 to attend Google I.O. And that apparently wasn't worth Google's time and they just canceled it when the, the pandemic scuttled it plans. And it's very different for Apple, right? Like it's clearly a much more valuable conference for Apple than it, than Google I.O. is for Google. So yes, it, it does make sense that the, the guy who said he'd buy a shirt didn't because we knew he wasn't. He had money, he'd be on iPhone. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't actually, he was actually an iOS developer at the time. So we had an EU edition at one point. We had the tour t-shirt. Yeah, the world tour here. Yeah. The NAFTA edition, Mark, I named it after you know Mr. when Mr. Trump started making trouble for us, right? What? Say it again? Oh, the NAFTA edition? Oh. The NAFTA edition, yeah. I see. It's, it yeah. just means it's printed in North America. Mm-hmm. Huh. How do I get these guys to... Where's this, this? Like, I still haven't found support from these guys. Weird, eh? Support is a cost, Tim. It doesn't it doesn't drive yeah, top right. line. It only affects bottom line. Right. That's why uh, you know when you're having internet troubles and like, oh, this this video isn't working too good. It's coming in all pixelated. Oh, look at this 4K HDR ad coming out for Wells Fargo <laughs> or Huggies or Coca Cola. Perfect sound quality. They put their engineering dollars where they make money. 
So this will come up in uh, tomorrow's podcast thing, but man, I have feels regarding Chadwick Boseman uh, more oh, yeah. more than just, you know, a uh, star cut down in their prime. I'm like, dude, you do the math. He died at 43 and had cancer for four years that he was battling. It's like, he had that at 39. Oh my God, I'm 39 as well. Yeah. I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> Welcome to that phase of your life, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or you mean people are dying all around you sort of thing? I mean, yeah, it, people. It, your people getting, younger than you are dying. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, oh man, yeah. that's that's, yeah. that's wild. Yeah, yeah, I've already had that phase of like everybody's getting married, everybody's having kids. Mm-hmm. I guess people retiring is uh, the next one. Oh yeah, well, a buddy of mine's already retired. He retired like uh, a few years ago. He's the guy that went and worked for the post, post office the whole time. Okay. Yeah, a couple of people I went to college with have, have died already. Really? Yeah. This coming Monday is Labor Day, United States. That's a yeah. national holiday, so it's a long weekend for us. And I'm taking Friday off of work, so it'd be a four day weekend for me. That'll be nice. Be nice. Lax a bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking about taking an extra day too. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. 